Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a travel journalist and editor. And here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Today, I'm joined by one of the most prolific magicians of all time. 250 million viewers around the world tuned in to watch him levitate in front of the Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro and to seemingly walk on water down London's River Thames. Three quarters of a million attended his last stadium tour with famous fans from Jay-Z and Snoop Dogg to Ed Sheeran and Gwyneth Paltrow. Of course, I'm talking about Dynamo. And then, at the very peak of his success, he had to step away. As you'll hear on this episode, Dynamo became so ill from the effects of Crohn's disease that he spent months in hospital thinking he would never be able to perform magic again. Now, five years later, having come close to death, in this exclusive podcast interview, he reveals how determination and resilience means that Dynamo is back. He's been working on a new show which will take viewers on a magical journey across the globe, from Bradford to Japan, Syria to Australia. These are the travel diaries of Dynamo. Welcome to the Travel Diaries Dynamo. Wow, it's amazing to have you here. How's Thank it going? Thank you so much. Oh, it's good, yeah. It's great to have you back. Thank you, yeah. It's been a bit of a journey um, and it's kind of nice, you know, to be back here talking about what I've been up to and I do get to travel to amazing places, so it's a perfect fit. Yeah, exactly. It'd be a perfect fit and I can't wait to hear the Travel Diaries you have in store. I was going to say, you, you know, you look great, but I know kind of living with an invisible illness myself, that can sometimes be a slightly irritating compliment to receive. So how are you? I mean, nobody ever hates getting a positive compliment like you look great. I mean, that, <laughs> that, there's, that's a good one to start with, to be fair. Uh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I know inside that I don't always feel that great but I might look good on the outside Mm. Um, that is one of the things you have you know having Crohn's disease which is one of the invisible illnesses but I think yeah you know I've had a real tough journey over the last couple of years I've learned a lot about myself learned a lot about my illness and you know I'm kind of learning new ways to deal with it I've had different symptoms happen because of the food poisoning that I got a couple of years ago uh, which has led on to new experiences through my health you know with arthritis now Mm. which as a magician having arthritis in all my joints is not ideal I couldn't shuffle cards at one point so at that point what were you thinking I mean I had the doctors literally telling me that you might never perform be able to perform magic again oh my gosh that must have been so destroying at the time kind of yeah it's like talk about killing my dream kicking me when I'm down yeah but it's one of those things like I I've never been the sort of person who lets things hold me back. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of that guy who, like, you know, if a doctor tells me I, I'm not going to be able to do something, I'm like, well, I'm dynamo. I've got, I've got to figure out a way to do it. I, I yeah. do the impossible. That's, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I'm not going to go out like this. So, you know, I've, I spent the last couple of years focusing on getting myself better and working on ways of redeveloping and kind of bringing magic out in a new way uh, because I was told originally that I wouldn't be able to use my hands to perform magic anymore. So initially, I started to try and create magic where I'd put the magic in the audience's hands and try and empower them. Right. But then over time, I started to get the use of my hands back and started to feel more like my old self again. So I had all these new skills that I'd kind of developed whilst I was in my hospital bed. 
but I could, you know, give abilities to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also had the old skills coming back. So in some ways, although I'm not 100% healthy yet, I am technically 150% better at magic because I went through the experience of it and it, I kind of learned from it. The magic uh, is all stuff that I actually created and wrote about in my little black book whilst I was in hospital. I was kind of confined to almost like solitary confinement <sighs> for for like a couple of months. A um, couple of months? Yeah, the doctors thought I was, one of the symptoms, one of the things I they thought I was contagious, so I was kind of quarantined. Oh, so I wasn't wow. allowed to have people in and out other than the specific nurses. Uh, and it, it's not like, you know, we had, occasionally I'd get a bit of internet in there, but it's not like I was really in touch with the outside world at that time. I was on a lot of heavy medication, which kind of made me go, a little bit crazy in hospital. I was going a bit stir crazy, but some of the magic ideas that were coming into my head were out of this world. I think possibly some of the drugs had something to do with that, <laughs> but it was all prescribed by medical professionals. The NHS are amazing uh, and they really looked after me. Yeah. And because of that, I wrote all these amazing ideas in my little black book. And that was the motivation that when I got out of hospital, I wanted to bring these ideas to life. Well, we'll come back to that and I can't wait to see it. But let's kick off with your travel diaries. Chapter one is your earliest childhood travel memory. My earliest childhood travel memory is probably quite a significant one. But at the time, I possibly didn't realise how significant it was. It was when I was maybe, I was under 10 years old. Uh, I can't say exactly, I might have been seven or eight. And my grandma, Nana Lynn, she'd moved to America uh, with uh, my granddad, Martin, because of his job. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'd been flown out there to to open up a new company. And I got to go out and visit them. And we went to my, my grandpa as well, my great grandpa, who got me into magic. He was with us and my Nana, who is my Nana Lynn's mum. It's very confusing. But yeah, basically. So you're my, lucky you've got great grandparents. I've got great grandparents and grandparents. And nice. we all, I was with my great grandparents and my grandparents in America. And we went to a place called Myrtle Beach. And I went and saw my first ever magic shop. So that gave you your first taste of magic. Yeah. And what was it like? It was amazing. I was like, I mean, my grandpa had shown me magic before that. But this was the first time I'd ever seen kind of a, a shop that where people did magic and you could like learn magic yeah and at the time I probably didn't realize how significant it would be in my life Mm. it was just a cool thing I remember going there for like two weeks after that I was obsessed with the little trinkets that my grandpa had bought me from the from the store and I would show everybody and then they probably got reserved to the back of my toy cupboard and Mm -hmm. you know fast forward obviously the rest is history but yeah I feel like that was one of my earliest holiday memories it planted Um, a seed I remember I can literally remember remember walking because it was um the shop was in an area of Myrtle Beach where there was like kind of like decking Mm -hmm. and it was like you know I don't know if there's any boats around there like a boardwalk it was a boardwalk yeah yeah, it was a boardwalk and I remember kind of coming across this this magic shop and it looked amazing from the outside and then when you're inside you know there's people in there showing you amazing things and it was like I you know I was like a little kid like just my eyes were just wide and my mind was blown amazing so chapter two then is the first place that you fell in love with what would that be it's gonna have to be Bradford you know on season one of the podcast I had the editor of Lonely Planet magazine come on and he picked Bradford as his hidden gem amazing he obviously knows 
Yeah, he does. Yeah. He talked um, about the Saltair World Heritage yep, site. Salt, yep. And what is it that you love about Bradford when you go back there now? I mean, it's home to me. Bradford mm. is always going to be home. I feel super comfortable there. I understand that growing up there, there was areas I lived in which weren't the nicest areas. You know, mm. I wasn't always around the nicest people. But I've always just felt comfortable in that environment. And in some ways, living in some of those more downtrodden places at times set me up to the, to be in a position where now when I go anywhere, there's nowhere in the world that I feel uncomfortable in. Mm. You know, I can be in the favelas in Brazil, which I've been to in my shows in the past, or I can be at, you know, Clarence House with the royal family, you know, from council estates to royal estates, you know. It's the council estate grounding that gave me the, I guess, the uh, the the start that I needed to feel comfortable to be in all these other places. That's amazing. Gave me the sensibilities. I think yeah. that's the word I was looking for, the sensibilities to be able to to be almost like a chameleon to go in and out of these different places and not feel uncomfortable being myself. And that allows you in turn to really absorb travel experiences wherever you are. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Take away all, you know, yes, there's certain adversities I've had to go through, but we all have problems. I get to put smiles on people's faces and I get to travel all over the world doing the thing I love more than anything. Mm. I mean, it doesn't really get much better than that. Yeah. So how quickly did travelling become a part of your stunts? Because some of my most memorable experiences of watching you involve key landmarks around the world. I'm thinking about um, walking on the River Thames and down the side of the LA Times building. Some of the Christ the Redeemer. The Christ the Redeemer, those ones. So like, at what stage did that begin and what drew you to those particular spots? It all started with the dam that separates Delft Hill Estate and Woodside Estate, where I grew up. Uh The dam was uh, was the meeting point for the cool kids. I wasn't one of those cool kids. Um, and it was also the place where you would have the Woodside Delphi Estate riot where once a year, everyone, the tough kids from Delphi and the tough kids from Woodside would kind of have a bit of a battle royale against one another. Uh, it was mental. But I just, I remember like, you know, you did not go down to the dam on them days. Um, right. And I once got invited down to the dam by some of the cool kids uh, thinking that, yeah, I'm, I'm in now. I'm one of, I'm one of, you know, this is like a rites of passage, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and get down there and they would took me down there to basically beat me up and throw me into the dam. Oh my God. At the time, I didn't know how to swim. I was quite quite young. I didn't learn to swim until I was 14. And I wished then, you know, that I could have walked on the water as I was like flailing away and nearly drowning. Luckily, my mate Wayne Jowett, shout outs to Wayne Jowett, he saved me. Um, Thanks, Wayne. We're yeah, all man. grateful to Wayne. Yeah, shout out to Wayne Jowett. He's still in Bradford. Um, but yeah, man, he saved my life back then. And uh, yeah, all to him. Um, but yeah, uh, he pulled me out of the water and saved me. But ever since that moment, I had this burning ambition to be able to walk on water. I didn't ever want to be sca- that scared again. Wow. So there's like a really powerful reason behind that. Yeah. Stuff. And it and it's one of those things. It wasn't till I, you know, many years later when I you know was old and was really channeling my magic into a into a vehicle that becomes art that people can share and enjoy mm. um but I decided when I got the deal with watch to make magician impossible that one of the things I wanted to do was to walk on water and you know the river Thames was the was the place I wanted to do it Never better water to walk on than other rivers um I mean 
Not really. Not really. It's a bit dirty. I'm, tr- I'm trying to understand how, it's a bit how, how you ascertain the right river to walk I on. think it was more like, you know, I think it, it's just such an iconic, famous, you know, river. I'm not going to lie. It probably was because of the EastEnders intro. <laughs> because as a kid growing up, my mum watching EastEnders and stuff like that, uh, religiously, you know, you would see the River Thames. It flashed up. It in flashed the up. And I thought every that day. was the fam- most famous river I'd ever known about uh, at that point. So I, I do think it's something <laughs> to do with, with EastEnders. Which was the most um, memorable to perform in, would you say? In Magician Impossible, probably India. But my most memorable to date uh, from the most recent series, Beyond Belief, um, is Tokyo because it's some place I've always wanted to go. I wanted to go when we were making Magician Impossible, but we could not seem to line it up right mm-hmm. with the dates. And so finally, you know, got to go, and it's like the most amazing place. Like it's so different from anywhere I've ever been to. And I love cities. I'm a city guy through and through. Like you know, we have everything in London. We're spoiled, but to be out in Japan and to kind of you know see how they live out there and to be kind of embedded into that culture was just amazing it's really hard to put into words unless you've been or seen it yeah. but it is like no other place on the planet it's in some ways it's so futuristic but in other ways it's kind of like going back in time as well yeah it's that um, weird juxtaposition yeah as say, of like modernity you know like and then we you know we filmed in like in a geisha house with a, a geisha which was quite interesting because they don't speak to you really so you kind of i'm performing magic and they often they don't even crack a smile or anything. So it was quite nice when uh, when I was performing magic silently um, to the geisha and, you know, you kind of see, you kind of almost break through that barrier and you see behind their eyes the the, the magic just hits their mind and then you see a smile appear on their face and it's like, ah, I've made you break character. Yes. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's so, yeah. it's so good. Um, wow, but then, that really is so different. But then, you know, from being, from the stillness of the geisha house to being in i think it was a place called chibu we went to um like tokyo drift car meetup um you know you had like all the all the um the race cars you know like and like these like super tuned up like cars a bit like fast and furious Mm -hmm. style Mm -hmm. and you know it's like an illegal meetup where where they all meet up and they do like burnouts and all that sort of thing you know which is like that's the sort of thing i've only seen in movies yeah but to actually be there in that and, you know, that was amazing. Like, I did one of my most dangerous things I've ever done there, which you can see in the show. I don't want to spoil it, so you're going to have to wait. But, yeah, the, yeah the, the stuff I filmed in Tokyo um, is by far some of my best, some of my favourite, but also some of my most dangerous. And as you say, the Japanese people, it's a completely different culture. So how do they respond to magic? And, and how, how do all the different cultures that you perform to respectively do they all receive magic in a universal way or is it different depending on which country you're in? Yeah, one thing that I found crazy traveling the world to all different places and perform magic to people of different cultures, different backgrounds, different races, is that although they all have their own unique reaction to magic, there is kind of that universal connection that they all react in a kind of positive way. Mm-hmm. like I've always like loved when I've come back from filming in a few different locations and then we've been in the edit and I've kind of seen you know side by side from a, a geisha in a geisha house in Japan to you know to some kids in a favela um, to a homeless guy on streets in New York you know like mm. and doesn't matter the different you don't watch that reaction knowing 
each person's background, you only see a human reacting to magic mm. and more often than not the reactions are very similar so it's connecting yeah. really yeah for me magic's always been about connecting people yeah uh, from a young age you know when i first got into magic myself i was quite an isolated kid i didn't have many friends um i'm not crying the portal i'm just you know this is just the place i grew up in and because of that i kind of used magic as a way of connecting people to get myself friends and there's a way of yeah. trying to, I didn't have a big family around me at the time. Um, so I kind of used magic to create a family around me with that. And then as it became bigger and things like social media came out, I used social media to create a family of people around the world. So no matter where I'm in the world, I can if I can never feel lonely again because I can just tweet saying, hey, I'm in this place. If you want to see some magic, meet me on this street corner right now. And so people cool. will just turn up. So, you know, it's always been about connecting people. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Well, for me. Chapter three is the place where you learn the most about yourself. Where would that be? I think I learned the most about myself when I went to the Syrian border to see the refugees. Uh, it was a couple of years ago now. And it was right in the middle of when I was super sick. I got out of hospital but I was in a stage where I was told I can't perform magic anymore. The arthritis had taken over my body. I was on a massive high dose of, of prescribed drugs, which had caused my body to change shape. And it caused my body, certain parts of my body to shut down and not work properly. Mm. Um, but I 
was sick of being sick in some respects. I was sick of being stuck in a hospital bed or sick of being stuck at home feeling helpless. And, you know, I obviously heard about the refugee crisis and everything that's going on, as most people did, you know, from the news, because I was sat in the hospital watching it on the news quite a lot. Mm. Um, And I really wanted to kind of, you know, take this time where I couldn't physically do magic to be able to try and do some real magic and real good for the world. Mm. And I partnered with uh, i contacted sarah brown who runs a charity called their world mm-hmm. uh, who focus on getting children into education uh, refugee children in particular into education um around the world you know in the different kind of conflict areas and we ended up we jumped on a plane and we went out there and kind of saw what people were really living like and mm. saw all these children who are the future of the world um without any hope and had to do something about it. And when you kind of see families and children and people living like that, it kind of really makes you appreciate what you have got in life and also makes you kind of have a new understanding of what the real important things are in life. Yeah, I mean, course. you know, it. I'd gone from, you know, being at the top of my career to having illness and feeling like everything in my life sucked. But it got me out of that mindset of even my illness was nothing in comparison to what they were going through and because of that it allowed me to stop focusing on my illness and focus on doing something to help these people which in turn I guess did have a positive effect on my life at the same time it's about you know what we can take from these moments and use to help other people and Syria the Syrian border the Syrian refugees uh, they're the people that actually probably taught me the most about myself and hopefully the work I did out there will help to give some of them a better future for themselves and they can go on and inspire other people. I love that. That's a beautiful answer. Thank you. Chapter four, then, is your all-time favourite destination. Ooh, my all-time favourite destination. I'm probably going to say, today, my favourite place was in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um and it was a place, it's about three hours outside of Sydney, called Walgan Valley in Ooh. the Blue Mountains. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so what's it like there? It, I mean, you are literally kind of taken out of the modern world that we are used to. Uh-huh. You know, like no internet, no phone reception. You're kind of living within nature. You're in, you know, I, I stayed in some like, I guess like luxury kind of huts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got your bare necessities um, and you've got, you know, and like swimming pool. It's like beautiful weather because it's Australia. Um, but you wake up, you know, with like kangaroos on your deck. I remember the place I went to there was like 10 little huts. And so you, you and they're all quite wide apart from each other. So you can literally kind of go for days without seeing anybody else. And what it, did you do each day when you were staying? We went horse riding, mm-hmm. uh, went cycling, uh, went up to the mountains. Um, yeah, it was just really kind of became like one with nature again kind of went back to basics uh, it was about like it was like when i was um like when i was a young youngster and we'd go camping in the woods it just reminded me of that you know because we were just out there you know like with nothing but our own imaginations and just ourselves to kind of entertain ourselves and just you get to see what the beauty in 
the kind of the real world that we live in you know in the, the, the natural world that we live in that's out there yeah um obviously australia is an incredible backdrop on its own mm. but this place called Wagon valley was the most beautiful place i think i've ever been to it's probably my most memorable holiday i was very fortunate to get to go there it was after i'd finished my australian uh, arena tour mm-hmm. and to kind of finish it off me and my wife just took a little took a few days you know to go and do something special so it sounds like you really needed that time to relax probably as well and it was like the ideal setting yeah it was it was the most relaxing setting and it was it was just nice to almost be shut off from the outside world spend nights just lying look staring up at the stars you know doing stuff like which does sound kind of like cliched movie stuff but i guess most of well yeah it really was but most of our dreams if you think about it probably come from things that we see others do in movies yeah. You know, so to actually kind of be part of our own little our own little dream there was amazing. Um, oh, that sounds gorgeous! But then you also said that you're a, a city boy at heart. So, yeah. what would, in contrast, be your favourite city? Would you say my favourite city is London City? Really, they, we have everything here. Mm. I live here now. I started coming here almost twenty years ago. I just jump on the train from Bradford. Actually, it, before I could afford the train, I would get the the uh, the long bus the long coach uh-huh. it, it cost me a pound because I'd book it way in advance it'd be a pound journey to come from Bradford and it would take about eight hours to get down here um, So, and this was before you had like the internet I don't think you even had mobile phones back then yeah I'd, so I'd, you couldn't just plug into a movie or something no I'd have to get off I'd read a book or something you know mm-hmm. um, and I'd, I'd have to kind of get off the uh, coach at the end and call my mum and call my nan until I made it alright and then you know I'd kind of I'd made a few friends down here and, and I would spend like a couple of nights performing at Covent Garden and, you know, just meeting people and just kind of just seeing some sights of the world that I hadn't come across at that point. And now that you live here, where are your favourite spots to hang out? I mean, my favourite place in London is Hampstead Heath. Mm, um, one of mine I, I have dogs, so walking the dogs on Hampstead Heath, there's no better place in London to, to walk dogs. Yeah, uh, And I, I kind of love just going out there with the dogs and spending hours just you know letting them run around and just walking around in some ways just on my own i do have conversations with my dog is that weird dog owners understand dogs, it cats, whatever yeah we have the best conversations yeah they love all my ideas it's great <laughs> um for me that's a bit of it's kind of like my solace like mm-hmm. um, i'm very lucky that i live very close to it um it's kind of like my back garden um so nice. i get to you know take my dogs there every day and that's kind of my it's like my secret place yeah because there's always the heath is so big there's always something new to find there so you know london's always kind of been one of those places that since i first started coming here when i was 15 i've just fell in love with it mm. like it's not quite gonna beat bradford for me mm-hmm. but it is the most amazing city in the world mm-hmm. in regards to when you come here it, it has been the city that has allowed me to bring my dreams to life yeah yeah and are you a hotel guy? Um, do you have any favourite hotels that have stuck in your memory, aside from that amazing one in Australia? Because of my work, I live out of a suitcase more than anything. So you've experienced uh, your fair share of hotels? Yeah, I've, I get to go to quite a few. And, and now, at this stage in my career, I'm very lucky to go to some of the nicer ones. My favourite hotel in London, it's it's more of a boutique type place. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's it's really cool. I've I've only been there a few times, but um, but it's like pretty awesome. I've done a, I've done a few shows there, a few parties there, performed at a few parties. There's the Chilton Firehouse. Oh yeah, 
Like it's such a cool place because you feel like you go, you don't feel like you go in a hotel. You feel like you're in someone else's living room and just like yeah. you know, it's just a really comfortable atmosphere. But then I have places in London that I love to go to, which are the complete opposite end of the spectrum. But they're just places that ever since I've come to London, they're places that remind me of good times. But there's a place which it's it's such a greasy spoon on Wardour Street called Barbuno's. Mm-hmm. Which always just been Bruno's to me, but it's now been rebranded as Barbuno's. Yeah. And it's been there for as long as I can remember. Um, since I, Ever since I've come to London, talking 20 years ago. Right. It's the one, if I want good food in London, like good home food, like that's the place I go. It's it's in like an Italian, it's Italian uh, family owned restaurant. It's still, the staff there are still the same guys that worked there when he used to come 20 years ago. That's and they so don't cool, seem yeah. to have aged at all. Like... <laughs> For me, it looks like the sort of place where, you know, the Italian mafia back in the day must have had secret meetings. <laughs> yes. Like you're surrounded by tiles, you know, it's not, it's like literally when I say it's not fancy, it is not fancy in the slightest. But it's authentic. But it's so authentic. Yeah. yeah. And, and all the, you know, it's all, all the people who work there are family with each other, you know, like it's, it's a family owned business in the best sense of the word. Mm. And you don't kind of come across that so much anymore. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's really nice to have that. It reminds me of some of the places I used to go to in Bradford, like Donald's Tuck Shop, which was, you know, I used to go on my way to school every day and it was, you know, it's a little sandwich shop. Um, it's just, it wasn't fancy or anything like that, but it like there was a sense of community there, uh-huh. and I love finding little places like that. Uh, where where they recognise you when you go in, and... recognise where you go in, where they know you. Mm. When you usual, yeah, please, you know, and yeah, and it's yeah. also where you feel like you know people who not many, not everyone knows about it, but people who know, they know, know yeah. and everyone who does go, it is a community. I love to find the places where I love, I love finding places when you go to different countries where the locals go well that leads me very nicely on to chapter five which is your hidden gem my hidden gem uh is in new york but it's not a typical place that you would go to if you go to new york i also wouldn't necessarily advise you go to this place because it's not necessarily the safest place to go on your own um but i ended up there almost by accident I went to New York uh, when I was younger and I was just like, you know, traveling around the city, doing magic to everybody, you know, um, just really kind of caught up with all of the the lights and just everything, you know, the whole experience. Uh, I'd always wanted to go there when I was a kid and I had the opportunity to go. And I ended up performing magic in Rooker Park in Harlem. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't specifically choose to go there. I think I just got lost and that's where I ended up. And... I, you know, I'm performing magic to the basketball players, to, to the locals that live there. And, you know, and they were just loving it. And, you know, I remember walking from one part of Harlem, from Rooker Park, and I, I'd walked about, I'd say, a good hour and a half um, back into the city, right? And some guy came up to me outside a shop and he goes, hey, are you the magician? And I'm like, yeah, like, how, how do you know that? And he goes, and he goes, Turn my dollar into a fifty, because <laughs> because in Rooker Park, the one thing I'd done for some kid, there yeah. was a there was this um, kid outside the shop, and he asked me if I had any change, and I offered to give him a dollar, and he's like, "Oh, have you got more than a dollar?" So I turned it into a fifty dollar bill, and the story had travelled from one side of Harlem <laughs> all the way to the other yeah, in that time, I bet and it did. so for me, you know, Rooker Park um, was kind of. 
it showed me the power of magic and how it can travel around the world. Um, and that was my first experience of having that happen in such a short space of time. Yeah. So for me, Rucker Park's always going to be a hidden gem. But yeah. like I said, I wouldn't advise you go there unless you're going somewhere, go, unless you kind of know unless someone. You know someone who know, knows yeah, the area. go there if you find someone who knows the area mm-hmm. and then get invited in properly because, you know, it, you know, you don't just want to walk into those type of places, you know, mm-hmm. on your own. Chapter six is the place that you'd never go back to. Is there a place that you remember for the wrong reasons? I don't really have a place that I'll never go back to because I've been so lucky to travel to so many places and I feel like all of these places I've been to just never had enough time there. So if I had the opportunity to go back anywhere, I would take it. Um, Because you're so busy working while you're there often. Yeah, and just I just think there's always so many amazing things to find in every city you go to. There is so many hidden gems and, you know, the next time I come on this show, you know, I want to have other hidden gems to talk about. So the only way I'm going to find those is by mm-hmm. going to more places. And I might have to go back somewhere again to find that magical place. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't think I would have a place that would I would never go back to. I mean, it'd be good if I don't have to go back to hospital anytime soon because, you know, that wasn't yes. the most pleasurable experience. Yeah. But it did, it did actually lead on to, you know, to some really positive things to come out of it. I'm having this conversation with you and I might not have had that if I'd not had the uh, had kind of all of the stuff happen to me back then. Mm. So, you know, there's there's always positive experiences that come from negatives and there's probably is places that I've been to where I haven't had the best time. But as I said, I'd never want to not go back somewhere. Mm. Mm. I think that's the best attitude to travel. So chapter seven then is your next big adventure. Where are you mm. heading next? My next big adventure is also like number one on my bucket list. And and I know that you sometimes ask people what their bucket list Yeah, that's is. chapter eight. So are we combining chapter yeah, let's seven combine and chapter eight? Seven okay. and eight. So the uh, number one on my bucket list is to go gorilla trekking. Oh, wow. I love animals. Yeah. Um, and I've always probably my favorite animal has been the gorilla. Um, mm-hmm. It's so fascinating. They're probably the closest animal to human form, mm-hmm. I, I guess, arguably. So I've always been fascinated by them. And it's always been one of the things I've wanted to do. And I've just obviously finished making Beyond Belief, uh, the TV series. I spent a lot of time, you know, traveling around the world, working and spent a lot of time away. And I thought, you know what, after this, I kind of want a holiday, but I want to do something super special. You know, I almost, almost, you know, died and lost my career in magic from from illness like a year and a half ago so i kind of don't want to wait too long to kind of tick off the number one thing on my bucket list so i'm going to rwanda to do some gorilla trekking i'm only going for four days it's a very short trip um it's a super special thing to do um so yeah that's that's the the next adventure how exciting that sounds magical and what are you expecting when you get there i mean hopefully i'll see some gorillas that's that i mean you really hope so go that way (laughs) yeah but no i I, as i've touched on earlier i like the idea of kind of getting back to the grassroots of things and and getting back to nature going to the the gorillas natural habitat which should be kind of, you know, hopefully like untouched, you know, not like the modern world and that we live in. Yeah. It's, it's how the world was and has always been for 
so many years, you know what I mean? Um, before us as men kind of destroyed it or changed it, mm. uh, sometimes for the positive, sometimes for the negative. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of just getting away from modern civilization for a few days and spending some time with some gorillas. Sounds absolutely wonderful. Well, Dynamo, those were your travel diaries, an amazing set of travel diaries, and you're a real inspiration. So, thank you so much for your oh, time. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, that was the incredible Dynamo and his travel diaries recorded at the Marlebone Hotel in London. Thank you so much for listening today and I'll speak to you next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels easier even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the travel diaries. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 